While Rails does incorporate sensible defaults for security, it's essential to recognize that no framework is inherently secure. Any framework can be vulnerable if used improperly. And being fallible humans, we are prone to making mistakes and erroneous assumptions potentially resulting in security flaws. This is where the expertise of Spectre security proves invaluable. Whether you're seeking to identify vulnerabilities in your application before malicious actors do, or require penetration tests to meet compliance standards, or even need assistance with any security-related concerns, Spectre security is here to help. For further details, please visit spectrohq.com consultancy. That's S-P-E-K-T-R-H-Q.com slash consultancy. Link in the show notes. Welcome to the Rails Changelog. Thank you. Yesterday, I recorded with Jorge, and he was the first guest that I asked to introduce himself. Uh, the reason being that I had assumed that everyone knows all of my guests inside of the, like, in the Rails community, everyone knows us, but... It appears that I was wrong. So I started this new tradition that I'm going to ask my guests to introduce themselves. So can you please introduce yourself so people know who Raphael... By the way, how do you pronounce your surname? Franca or Franca? It's Franca. Franca. Okay. So um, we'd like to know, the audience would like to know who Raphael Franca is. Yeah, sure. So let me see where I start. I'm a software developer at Shopify, a principal engineer at Shopify for almost 10 years now, I think 18 something. Uh, before that, I work in a consultancy company called Platform Attack that is known by some projects in the open source community like uh, Device in simple form. Uh, they also created a programming language called Elixir. Uh, I'm from Brazil originally, now I live in Canada. Uh, what else? And I'm a member of the Rails Call team since 2012. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was a, that's quite a long time ago. I remember Jose uh, Valim and his uh, work, his comments inside of Rails and his contributions to uh, device. Yeah, you've, you've come a long way. So yeah, since, since the beginning of my career, I would say I was involved in Rails. Like I, I started, I started to work with Ruby 2011 and in 2012, I was already a Rails core member. So one year of like, yeah, involved, but before becoming a Rails core member, I was already a maintainer of device with simple form that like simple form, I don't know if is much used today, but devising is still an uh, authentication solution that most people use in the Rails community. So I was involved with open source since the beginning of my career. How did you become involved with the Rails core team? How did it start? How was like your first encounter with Rails and then through to becoming a member of the core team? Yeah, I had a few encounters with Rails. I would say the first one was 2007. I was working in the university, working my uh, conclusion project. Like I did computer science and we had a project that we had to do in order to graduate. I was working on that with Java frameworks, like trying to build a web application. And that for me was very difficult. Like. I had to choose a lot of things like what persistence layer I want to use, what library I want to use to render my HTMLs, like a lot of decisions I had to make. And most of those things were packages that were not actually 
well integrated. So I need to, I needed to know how to configure them. I'd like to say, okay, I use JPA to persist how I do that. It was really hard. Like, uh, like it must, there, there must be a easy way to do this. And I was searching around and I found a, a Java framework called the JBossing. I don't think it exists anymore, but the, the difference of this framework from all the others is like, you could use a command line tool to generate application and everything would, would work. And I said, okay, yeah, that's exactly what I need. Something that would bootstrap my application and I would just focus on building the application instead of, instead of trying to figure out how to configure things. And reading the documentation, maybe it was a forum, I don't remember anymore, but there was a mention of someone saying, uh, this framework is based on Ruby Rails. And I was like, okay, what's Ruby Rails? I have no idea. So I searched around and I found a few books on Ruby Rails. I read it. And like, for me, it was a little bit difficult at the time because the book I was reading was talking about Rails 1.2. And Rails was in the version 2.0. So it was very different. Like I saw Rails, I had no idea that between version was so different. So everything I was trying was not working and I kind of gave up. But I kept in the back of my mind this and I started to subscribe to RSS feeds about Rails and a few websites. One of them was Railscast. So I started to watch Rails but I did not try any of those. Like I did not try to add applications. I was just kind of consuming information, kind of like we do today with YouTube. Like you probably watch hundreds of videos on YouTube that you never use. The same thing I was doing with, with Rails And in 2010, I believe she was having joined the Rails team. And I was like kind of intrigued to me. And you, because of one of the blogs that I was following at the time, so I was intrigued by like, okay, like we have a Brazilian in front of uh, open source framework, how that came to be. And I, I remember saying to myself, I was like, whoa, to work with Jose and kind of understand why someone would join a, a framework and how can a Brazilian actually be able to join a framework. At the time, I did not knew much English. I was still like, I could read, but not write, and I could, I could not even understand. I remember Rails case was really hard to me because like Ryan was talking really fast and for me, like I don't understand half of the words, but I understand the code and that's enough. So for me, like thinking about participating in open source community, an international one in English for me was like, oh, this is impossible. It's all for me. So yeah, one year later, exactly one year later after Jose joined the coding, so the same day, but well, year after, I moved to Sao Paulo to work with Jose in the platform tech. So, but I already went there with the goal of learning how to become that. Oh, I forgot an important thing. When Jose joined, I also subscribed to the Rails commit and the RSS feed. So every single change I would actually get as if it was an entry in my application, I would read every single one of them. But again, I did not understand much. I was just consuming information like we do with YouTube videos today. 
or TikTok videos even. Like I was looking for information for the TikTok for so many, but that information was cold, real for me. And in 2011, I started to work with Ruby full time. And I started to actually use Ruby Rails for real to build applications. They were not actually simple. They were very complex applications using Ruby Rails. And I kept like following every single Rails commit in 2012. I set as a New Year's resolution thing that I would contribute to Rails in the January 1st, I made my first contribution in code, not in documentation, because I had two previous commits with documentation. So first day of the year, I just contributed to Rails, I kind of, I read have good understanding because I was reading Rails commits for over a year. So I knew exactly how things would be, what kind of change people were making at the time. Uh, Aaron Patterson was removing support to Ruby 1.8. So I knew anything that would say, if Ruby version is 1.8, do this, I would just be able to remove. But start with those things, removing, like following the steps of other people. Then I started to find things that only I was able to see. So other thing I started to do is like, I tried to see a lot of duplication in the code base because I was changing a lot of things. So I, I just made a PI actually 10 minutes ago doing this kind of work. Seeing that two methods were very similar, but like nobody actually extracted a, a method. So I tried to do that to extract the methods like refactoring the code base, kind of trying to simplify. Then my biggest, my first big thing was to rewrite out the form helpers using objects instead of being a single object with, I don't know how many methods, but I think it was 40 different methods to uh, render a tag. I created one object for each kind of tag, like input tag or select tag. So that was my first big one. I think a PR with 200 lines, something like that. And that's how I started. From that point on, I continued doing, and I think I'm doing now for 12 years. From observing the Rails team, not just the core team, I'm talking about the issues team and the comments team, I, I, I noticed something. And what I noticed is most of them, or at least some of them from my observation, started from being uh, first entering the issues team and then into the comments team later on. A few years later, they maybe get into the core team. You didn't mention joining the issue team or the comments team, just like from comments straight to the core team. How did that happen? Yeah, so that's a good point. I, I was actually the creator of the issue team. So there was no issue teams before me. And that's why I never joined the team. I I, I created that team. I, I don't know if I have spoke about this before. But I knew how the race for works already because Jose, but I also, I, I researched a lot. I knew, for example, that Toby Luki, the CEO of Shopify, was a member of the Rainscore team before me, like in the beginning, I think, in the first incarnation of that team. I knew about every single Rainscore team before my time and during my time. So I kind of like, I was even shocked with my mother to Rails World. I'm the historian of Rainscore because I know dates, I know like when someone joined, when someone left, I know all this information. So yeah, the Rails team never existed before me. 
I kind of did it because when I joined, what was happening, like the rails routine was shrinking. So it was just after the rails three, like I think they were working to release rails three two. So it was after the rails three merged with Merp, and we had the Hodakai, Chuzagani, and Jeremy, Kosniak, David, and Aaron. Just those. I Santiago Pastorino. Those people were at the race for tea. And a lot of those folks were leaving. They were not actually saying, I'm going to leave, but they are doing life and life's work. And you could see by the contributions. So Jose was the only one that was really active when I joined. Everybody else was kind of like not doing much work. So I got there. I saw Jose doing a lot of issue triage, a lot of PR review, a lot of changes himself. He was doing everything. And I said, okay, I can help this guy by doing issue triage. So I started doing issue triage and kind of saying, okay, like uh, this issue is valid or it's not valid. I started to review PRs, even not being able to merge yet and say, okay, this PR is ready to merge. I would ping somewhere. Perfectly not just there because I knew just there was already uh, overwhelmed with everything he was doing. Or I started to ping Jeremy Kemper. Oh, Jeremy Deere, no. Jeremy Deere, and like I started to ping Santiago and say, hey, could you please merge this PR? Could you please merge that other PR? And I guess they got so annoyed with me that they told me, just merge yourself. And I tried to merge myself. And like, I think I had maybe 200 commits at the time when I got the commit access. And he, like, for 200, he went to 1,000 very quickly because I was going to every single issues, every single PR that did not have that response and merging them as quick as I could. And that's why they should, like, that's, I'd say the first issue thing was me, just me. And they started to say, okay, like, it feels like there is a job here nobody's doing and we need other people to do. And it could be a broad introduction for us all, I would say. People entering the funnel, like by joining the issue scene today, because at the time I, I, I saw that this could be an easy way to get people excited and engaged with the project so we could like grow them and give more access. Like it's just, it's kind of like a stepping stone to become a real score because it's the lowest barrier in the work that most people don't want to do. Like when people get to race for, they are focused on big, very big problems. So they forget about the day-by-day -day issues that come open, right? Like they are focused on rewriting connection management or they are focused on who write a new framework. They are not focused on how do you fix the association that's broken. And getting people that are, don't have yet this, those big ideas, but want to contribute and capture them, putting a team, involving them quickly is for me the best way to grow new contributors. From what I know right now, you're by far the most active contributor to Rails. You have like uh, over 11,100 comments to your name. <laughs> I think of this number like, wow. How do you, how do you stay motivated to work on Rails? Uh, I think right now it comes in waves. That must, I don't want to work at all. And like, I, I guess like, he, like in the beginning for me, the motivation was the community. 
like a lot of people, like working with people, learning new things. Like for me, learning about uh, Ruby garbage collector, right? that's actually one of the reasons I came to Shopify was to actually be able to learn about those challenges that like day-by-day developers uh, don't need to care about. Right, like how to build a framework, how to build a library, how to improve garbage collection in Ruby. What are the things that actually matter in the performance of your application, etc. And in the beginning, I was actually very excited about those things. Right now, is actually uh, I still have full times the time. I still excited about things, but there are times where Shopify is more exciting than Rails. So it's really hard to me to say, okay, let me work in Rails. So I actually spent a few months of my life, I would say, in a burnout phase because of Rails. I felt that I had the obligation to work on Rails, even though that... Sorry, what was that word again? A burnout. Ah, burnout. Okay, okay. Yeah. Burnout, yes. So uh, I felt obligation to work on Rails, even though like nobody ever told me you need to work on this, but I actually felt that like if it did not do anything, Rails would stop. And I, I had, like, it's not true. If I leave Rails today, or even in the time I was thinking this, Rails would continue. But I felt that way. Right now, I don't feel the same. I feel like if I if I want to shop three months of not works on Rails, okay? And that's actually why Rails 7.1 was so delayed, because I actually said, oh, I don't have the motivation right now. But my motivation is like, yes, the, the community reach out, right? Like, in the conferences, like, when I go to conferences and come back, I full of ideas. I want to do a lot of things. I meet, meet new people and actually learn new problems that I want to solve. So community is how I, I keep motivated. It's also a little bit of my dismotivation as well. Like in the community means a little bit toxic or like uh, kind of blaming me for not doing something or doing something. I get very dismotivated. So like the same thing that motivated me, dismotivated me. And today, I like I, I would say I, ha- I have a lot of healthy ways to build my motivation again if I need to. Like I can spend three months working on Shopify specifically in Zoe and then come back to Rails. I I don't feel more obligated to be working on Rails, but I like to work on Rails. And like from time to time, I kind of try to find ways to build that motivation. And conference is the best way for me. Which part of Rails for you, if any, is the least comfortable for you to work with? I don't think I have any, but I'm comfortable on every single part of Rails. I would say maybe actual cable is the one that I care less because I don't use. But like I would say that anyone in the Rails team is able to say, if I need to solve a problem in this area, I can do it. It's not like you can't. Like you have, you're going to have some difficulties, but for me, the least part, I would say, is actual cable because I don't use. If I use, I would know about it. The, if you ask me what's the part I'm most comfortable with, is everything. Like, I, my, my job in Rails today, I would say, is being the architect, is knowing how to glue things together and how the frameworks make sense together. So my, the part that I pay most attention is like, is this feature in the... Uh, in the right standard for Rails, like how those things do, uh, work together. One of the examples that we had was composite primary keys. 
like my team was working on composite primary keys and they upstream the issue rails. They built the thing, they told me it's ready, it's done. And I said, okay, how does it work with active record? Oh, active job. Oh, we did not test. How does this work with actual, oh, active model? Oh, we did not test. I said, yeah, those are the things that are missing. Like how do each part up with each other is my speciality, I would say. Is the part that I know most. I, 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 actual cable is the one that I know least, but it's not that I don't, I cannot work there. It's like, I don't care much. And that's why I'm not paying much attention. Right. Uh, when you said that your team worked on a uh, composite primary keys, do you mean your team at Shopify? I presume that would be the Rails and Ruby infrastructure team or something like that? Yeah, the Rails infrastructure team, yes. What that thing does, so we have like two things, like we have the Ruby infra and the Rails infrastructure, like both things work. Each one of them works on different sides. So for us, the Ruby infra is working right now in Washington, garbage collector. So be, uh, the Ruby LSP, uh, what else? I think that's most of it. There are more things like the new parser, et cetera. Like things about Ruby, the Rails infra is working on, as I talk about like external projects, but there are a lot of internal projects as well that I do not talk about. The Rails infra, or Rails infra is a similar thing. They are working on a lot of internal projects, but there are a lot of external projects. One of them was composite primary keys. Uh, we also had the async carries in active record that was also like work for our team. Or uh, oh, what else? Oh yeah. So the difference I would say that the real thing is way more focused inside because we have bigger problems inside to solve. So like most people in the team is working today in the monolith that's uh Six million lines of Ruby code application that we need to figure out how to better work with it. So we, I would say like in the same way that base game build the things internally and the open source wins ready, we are doing that right now, but we are now in the phase where we are building the thing internally. So later we are going to open source, but right now we are not open source anything because we are building the thing internally. But the attribution of the team is to make sure that Rails works very well for Shopify. And that means either change Rails or change how Shopify works. Right, right, that makes sense. And um, there are lots of PRs inside of Rails that have not been attended to. Most of them have gone stale yet they look like they have like uh, some useful stuff in there. And uh, I, I, I'm not trying to like oblige that the Rails core team or any member of the Rails team attends to this, uh, to, to, to these Rails uh, PRs. But I want to ask you, how do you personally prioritize PRs to review? That's a good question. And sometimes I'm afraid of answering because the answer is very simple. It's like the first, the last PR that appears in my inbox is the one that I review. So if someone goes in and say ping, that one is going to be the top of my inbox and that's the one I'm going to review. 
I don't like to say this because we are going to get on our things. But that's how I prioritize. I don't actually go and say, okay, let me see what are the other PRs in Active Directory. No, don't do that. I go in the list, in the, the newest PR to the oldest PR. That's why we get so many like stale PRs. Because I also don't want to be reviewing stale PRs because they are stale, not only uh, maybe they are not applicable anymore or they, the PR cannot be worse. How a person likes to fix this problem, and I think we even discussed this in, in the Rails meeting at Rails World, is like we are going to do a similar thing, or at least try to do a similar thing that Ruby called us. Like they have a meeting monthly, I believe, where they ask the community to say, hey, which PRs do you think we need to review? And they, in that meeting, they go to every single PI and make a decision. So why we have so many stale PRs is because some PRs are not clear. In the sense, like, it's not a clear decision for me. I open the PR and just say, okay, this PR maybe make, make sense. I don't use it. I will wait another person to give him feedback. The other person does the same. They look at the PR and say, okay, I think this feature is okay, but I don't use it. I will wait another person to, to take a look. So like it, it creates a stalemate where I'm waiting somewhere else to say, yes, let's merge this. And the other person is waiting me to say, hey, let's merge this. So it's more like a lack of decision making. It's not that we don't like the PR or like nobody review. Actually, someone review, but did not make a decision. Because it's, there is no strong indication that that decision is important. So that's why the meeting might help because we are going together as a team to say, let's make a decision about those. We have a few PRs already, I believe in Rails, with a tag accepted or rejected. And those are the PRs that we review during Rails work together as a team, as a pilot to see if it was going to work. So yeah, I think that's how we plan to, to fix it is by going to the list of all the PRs, trying to make a decision how to do it, and assigning someone to, to, to make sure that the PI is worse. Hey, Emmanuel Hayford here, and I want to tell you about AppSignal. AppSignal is a no-brainer monitoring for smart developers that allows you to track errors and performance in your apps. With AppSignal, you get beautiful dashboards that provide deep insights to quickly get to the root cause of problems. It's easy to set up, and with real human support, you'll be ready to track and crash bugs within minutes after installation. Check AppSignal out at appsignal.com. That's A-P-P-S-I-G-N-A-L.com. Uh, speaking of uh, making decisions, being a part of the Rails Core team involves making decisions that impact the entire, rail, uh, the entire Rails ecosystem. Could you shed light on the decision-making process within the Rails Core team? Yes, I think it's... People think it's, it's special, but it's not really. It's very simple. Like it, most decisions are individuals, right? Like I go to a PR or to a change, I make the decision myself. I don't actually need other people's permissions. Neither ask for anyone actually ask for a review, but I don't wait the review. All that happens with other people's contributions as well, right? Like some open PR, I, 
IOA until uh, in the right to reject or accept the PR. We don't need to wait for uh, any kind of like consensus at the time. But there are cases where someone disagree with the submission. So like someone measure PR, I go there and say, okay, I don't agree with this. Sometimes I reject it right away so we can have a conversation after the fact because most features are merged. So I reverse the PR and then we start to have conversations and those decisions, this is go by consensus. When we make consensus, it's not like we do a voting and who has more vote wins. It's more like the other person tries to convince the, the other people to the point where either the other people say, Okay, yeah, great, I agree with you. Or they say, I don't care anymore because it's not that as important to me as it sounds like it's important to you. So most of the decisions are, are either individuals making decisions alone or in groups sometimes, but without waiting consensus or is consensus based. New frameworks are the same way. So like, it's not that... David is the only one that proposes new framework, but he's the one that proposed more often. Like I did propose a few and we accepted a few of those. So when he proposes, he goes, I want this in Wales. And we say, okay, yeah, yeah, let's, let's discuss this. And then we say, yeah, I don't care much. Do whatever you want. Or if we don't care, we talk, okay, yeah, this is a problem. This is a problem. How are we going to fix those? And then we have discussions to the point where we say, okay, I'm happy with the uh, the place we arrived. Yes, let's merge it. It's the same with me. Like it's not only David that does this. So the last time I proposed a framework, they were like, "Yeah, yeah, it makes sense." And I'm like, "No, no, it makes zero sense." And then either the guys reject or approve it. Uh, I think the last one did get approved, but it's not in reality. I just got me down to the line. I never finish it. I hope I, I do. Looking ahead. What are some of the key challenges that the Rails core team envisions for the future of the framework? We've gone all the way from Rails 1 to Rails 7. So I'm thinking that you pretty much have an idea of the challenges that you as a member of the core team see the framework could have. If you ask anyone in the Rails core team, they will give you the same answer. I think the biggest challenge we have now is to decrease complexity. And like, we think that decreasing complexity is just be building simpler tool, but I don't think that's enough because people are actually wanting more complexity and that's the challenge we have right now. If you justify people that they don't need all the complexity, they, they can simplify, they can use a simpler tool. They don't need to reach for the, like, I would say the complexity of the world because you think you are a Google-like or yeah, like the same size of Facebook, etc. right? Like, or even Shopify, I would say. So that's actually one of the challenges I have myself. I have a feature that I really like it. Uh, we are using Shopify. It's great. I would like the community to have it as well. But I'm afraid of opening this feature to the community because it's a complex feature that is only required if you have a complex software. And I don't want People to think, oh yeah, Shopify uses this and using Rails already. I'm going to use it to write every single application. So for me, that's the challenge we are facing right now. Is how we convince people that complexity is not needed 
the complexity, most of the time, that complexity can be reached where you actually have problems to solve with complexity. But uh, how we simplify our tooling as well, how we make Rails easier, Ruby easier, all these things easier. So for me, like a simple example that people don't think as complexity, but it is. It's like, how do we start Ruby on machine? Like every single person has a different way to do it. People use RVM, people use RBF, people use CHRubies, people use ISDF. People use a Windows machine, so there is no, none of those toolings, right? So like this for me is complexity that's not needed. People should not think about those. They just, you're working with this application, you should be able to clone your application and work right away without knowing, okay, how do I show all the dependencies that this application has? So simplifying the stack, simplifying the solutions we have is the challenges we have right now, especially because we are in a high complexity era and people are trying to, they are, they want complexity where I think we should want simplicity. If you look at Rails 5, Rails 5 was released in June, 2016. Rails 5.1 was released in May 2017. 5.2 was released in April 2018. And Rails 6 was re released in August 2019. You can see that there is um, some sort of consistency here. And um, Rails 6.1 was released in December 2020. And then Rails 7 was released in December 2021. Then Rails 7.1 for some reason was released in October 2023. That's a whole two years after Rails 7.0. What, what happened? Yeah, so I kind of hinted in the beginning when I was talking about motivation. Uh, why that happened? But a lot of things happened. So one of them is like, that was during the pandemic. Right, like those two years, one of them was during the pandemic, like 2021, I believe, or 22, I don't remember anymore. One of them was during the pandemic. And like a lot of us were very dismotivated, all the risk cutting. Then we, we want, like we had uh, some goals, like some features we want in that version of Rails. But we were dismotivated to actually work on it. So I was kind of like, as the release manager, I was trying to make a decision like, okay, should I wait those or should I release as release? And I was actually feeling that like, we don't have enough things to release. Why should I release this? Like they, the release was too small. And I had this feeling because like, if we, even, even if we look at the release note, we don't have those like big, features, like we don't have big new frameworks. We don't have big new approaches. So, so things like we had with Real 7, with Hotwire, or 6.1, or actually 5.1 with ActiveJob, right? Like we had big things in those relationships. And we did not have any of those. And I was trying to reach those, right? Like I was like, okay, I want this feature. I know it's very close to finish. Let's wait it. And we continue to wait, continue to wait, continue to wait to the point where I said, it's been too long already. Let's release with what we have and we did. 
Uh, one of those features is the one I was talking about that like is a way to organize Rails applications that we use at Shopify, but very complex. I want that to Rails, but I was not feeling it's ready because I was feeling afraid that as soon as I'm putting the framework, people will reach for it before they actually need. So I was like, I built a feature. I was there, I was cleaning the, the documentation, but I said, no, it's already, it's already. I don't feel good about it yet. So I was delayed the release because of this. I was delayed the release because of composite primary keys, because we did need this in Shopify. The work was being made, uh, was taken off to actually be able to find a good API for it in a good implementation. I released or I delayed the release because the authentication feature that like real server were released with a bunch of, of like, tools to make authentication for scratch easier. But the final goal of that was to create a generator that would generate the authentication for you, solution for you. We never got to the point and I was delayed because I wanted to be the generator, not the building blocks to build the generator. But then I decided, okay, I'm not going to wait this anymore. Let's build the, or let's ship just with the building blocks. Then we ship the application in the later version. So that's why it took two years. Like I talk about like waiting, but it was also motivation because like the person who would build the authentication solution was me. And uh, like it makes zero sense for me to wait for myself, right? Like I can just go there and, and do it. But I did not do it because I had no motivation to build the thing. Like I was not actually needed. I know the community was, and that's why I wanted to build. But at the same time, I was very dismotivated with like working rails. And I was waiting to have the feature, but I never got motivation to build the feature. And that's why I was not releasing rails. So in order to release, I had to overcome two blockers in my mind. One was of them, like, we don't have enough big features. And the other one is like, we need big features every single release. And I, I did not want this release to be a failure compared with any other of them. So when I overcome this, I said, okay, yeah, it doesn't matter. Let's just release it with whatever we have. We don't need to make a big deal of the point releases. We can make a big deal of the Rails 8, of Rails lines. Right? 7172, does not need to be a big deal. We just need to receive. And that's why we, when we met during Rails World as Rails Party, we decided that we would try to actually have a fixed release candidacy that I did not define yet, which is going to be what's the date. But I was thinking about something similar like the Ubuntu Linux distribution does every April or every October, like, you know, every April, October, Ubuntu release with a new version. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's not. I trying to do something similar to Rails. So. Speaking on the issue of uh, motivation, sometimes you're human. Sometimes you could, you could, you can just get burned out. Sometimes you could lose motivation. Um, but from what I see over the past couple of um, months, you've been the only person releasing new versions of Rails. Would it make sense for the core team to have like 
for release managers so that in case someone, I mean, like goes out for whatever reason, they want to go on a vacation, but we need a release, uh, then that person could 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 take it on. Would it, would it make sense for the core team to think of this? Uh, yes, and that actually exists. So anyone can release the patchwork levels, like 712, 713. Like usually I do because I have, I'll not say I have most free time, but I like to do it and I find a way to do it. The big ones, like 712, anyone can do it. I usually volunteer myself every time. And I do that because I probably the only one that pay attention to everything. And to be able to, to be the risk manager, you need to pay attention to everything. So yes, we, but like, it's not like I'm the only one that can do it. It's like, I'm the only one that volunteers. And yes, we can have only one in the risk continue to release if they want to. Like you can say sometimes Zero or Joe Atorn actually do releases sometimes it's me. They don't do the, the minor release, but they do the patch release, especially security. Uh, they do a lot. So anyone can do in the risk team. That's actually the only distinction between risk committees and risk for is like you can do a release. So anyone can do, I'm the one that volunteering the most. Sometimes I, like I already volunteer for the next one because I'm motivated. I know I am, but if like, I, I think maybe we need a fallback. Like if I cannot do it, who is going to be the second in command? So yeah, I, I think we discussed that as well in the, the real score, uh, meeting and I don't remember the conclusion we got, we got, but I think, I think the conclusion was, I was going to define the next release. I was going to define the release candidates and then we would see how we would distribute the release between other people. For example, I would never expect David to, to be the release manager because like he comes and goes, like he does not pay attention much to things. You don't see David emerging a lot of PRC in Rails, like he does in Hotwire a lot, but in Rails, you don't see that. So like there are a few people, fewer people than 12 people that can actually do the job. And I would never expect David to say, yeah, I'm not going to run my company to spend the next year paying attention to every single change in Rails to be the release manager. Right. It, I, I can imagine how hard it would be for 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 David. And even if he doesn't do it, I think uh David David is doing like I would say quite 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 a lot in, in, in other areas if it's not even imagined PR. So if he's not doing it, I would say he has a justified reason. <laughs> yeah, but uh what I want to talk about now is um Rails seven point one was huge with like it was filled with so many features and like the features were so i don't know like nifty useful big and almost i don't know how to describe them they were like really very interesting features in real 7.1 to the point that people started thinking that oh there's not going to be real 7.1 this is going straight to Rails 0.8 because first of all, it took a long time and then because uh, there were really very big features. And now that we have all of these wonderful features inside of Rails, how do you think Rails 8 would look like? There are a lot of things. One of these prop shift, I think Rails 8 would be 
uh, full migration for his profits to prop shift. Right now, we're in seven well, or even since seven, you can choose which one you want to use. I think Rails 8 is going to be the official retirement of his profits. So, uh, and there are a lot of things in that area of like assets management, like front-end development that I think going to be the, the main features of Rails 8. Uh, I'm not especially, let's see, I don't have special examples of what else we could have, but I would say like Turbo 8 with Morphdoor and all those things, I think it's going to be like the, the solid cache, solid key frameworks that like, I'm not going to be Rails core. I'm not going to be inside the Rails server, but they're going to be in the Rails file as like to uh, how to write right now. Uh, all those features that I talk about that uh, we did not finish to Rails 7.1 are big things for me. Like the way I see Rails 7.1 right now is like, this is a preparing release. It's a release preparing us for the big thing. The big things are not there yet. The big things for me is like for the application inside the generator, for the uh, what's the other feature that we got there? Oh, yeah. So like other things that I want to he do is logging, like how we do logging is strange. It's not industrial similar, I would say. Like if you, especially if you have a big application, you, you don't send logs to this. You send logs to Grafana or, or to Splunk or whatever. And Rails is really bad on doing those actually. So like solving that problem is something I want to solve. Uh, simplifying things, like today we have Webpack. Oh, we don't have Webpack anymore, but we have GS building, we have like CSS building, we have PropShift, we have Webpack if you want to use Steel, we have Sprocket. So consolidating in fewer options is another thing I think Rails 8 is going to be. And maybe we are not going straight to Rails 8. I don't know yet, because maybe we are going to have a 72. So one of the things I believe is, or oh, all minds, like um, minor releases can be small. They can introduce building blocks. They don't need to introduce big features that are ready. And I would say, we can introduce complexity in those releases. And big releases are decreasing complexity, right? Like it makes things easier, like removing choices, uh, removing code that should not be there anymore, like features that we think people should not use, all those things. Like I think Rails 5, yeah, I think Rails 5 was a very good release for in that sense. We remove a bunch of things. Active resources were also removed for Rails in Rails 5. Like the strong parameter was heading in 3, but like the, the old way of doing parameter checking on controllers was removed as well in Rails 5. So like, I think in that, like thinking about minor releases as adding complexity and the choices and major releases as like decreasing complexity and removing choices is a good way of thinking about this. But yeah, I don't think we are like 
that our roadmap is empty. I think there are a lot of things that we can build on top of Cyber One. Because everyone, well, for me, was a stepping stone. It's really easy preparing us for the big thing. Yeah. And uh, we call it a stepping stone, but for lots of people like me, I think it was um, it was a bit more than a stepping stone. Uh, I, I cataloged all of the features. I blogged about it. I had talks about it. And any time I gave that talk, people are like, wow, all of these things are inside of Real Sport, uh, Real 7.1. So, yeah, it, it, yeah, we can be humble and call it a stepping stone. But if we are calling Real 7.1 a stepping stone, then I can imagine what's, what the future of Reels would look like. There's uh, good things waiting for us. I don't want to overpromise, but I do. I also excited about the future of Reels because I see a lot of things we can be doing better in the framework that today is complex, that we can remove people's choices. Like not like to say, yeah, you cannot use it. It's more like, if you don't want to, you don't need to use this. And, right? Like you don't need to choose about like what asset pipeline I want to use. You should not ever have to choose about this. If you want to, of course you can, but you should not have to. Do you think there's anything missing from Rails? If you ask me this three years ago, I would say no. I also think today I would say no. I don't think no, nothing is missing. But as you know, in the last three years, we evolved so much, right? So like, it's hard to, to give the answer correctly. Like to me, I feel like, no, yeah, yeah, we have everything we need. And then two weeks from now, I say, oh, yeah, we need, we need this now. And we build a new thing, right? So hard to say. Uh, to me, I don't have any, uh, let's say, desire other than simplify things, make things simpler to do and simpler to use. And this in includes um, solving problems like not having to think how you start your Ruby when you are going to start up a Rails application. I think at Rails World, we talked about uh, you working on a tool that would solve this kind of problem and like sort of like if i if i want to develop for for rails i need a very simple setup i set uh, my application i don't need to care about how to set up containers or how whether to use rvm or asdf blah 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 so this is a tool that you're you're currently working on is that correct yes exactly yeah so they do already this i would say so like Microsoft released, I think, in the beginning of this year, a specification called Developer Containers, Dev Containers. is a specification that GitHub already uses to build the code spaces. Uh, VS Code already uses to build uh, a feature that they call uh, remote containers, but they are not remote, they run in your machine. I've been using this since, even before Microsoft released as I spec. I think three years now that I've been using this feature. Every single day to develop Rails, like the framework itself in Rails applications. Uh, I'm not trying to say that this is a panacea is going to solve every single problem people have with developing environments. But again, it's one of those things that you should not have to think about. If you want to, if you like to mess with your developing environment, configure your machine the way you want, whatever, and you can. 
what I want is like people that, for example, are doing boot camps today. Like I have a brother doing boot camp now in Wales. Like he uses Windows. How do you show Ruby Windows is a mess? Like there is no way to, way to do it. They have to do like a Windows uh, subsystem Linux or whatever. I forgot the name of the feature. WSL. Or you need to find a way to show Ruby. Like same thing with macOS. It's not easy. Like Homebrew made easier, but Homebrew is actually really hard to, not because of the tool, but because of macOS, it's really hard to keep versions of software in the same version. So every time you upgrade something, something big is it's a mess. So you should not have to think about this. You should just like get a Rails app or create a new Rails app without even having to install Rails or Ruby in your machine. Right. Why should you install Ruby on machine to generate a Rails application? You should not too. You should get a repository or whatever, a folder with all the files. You enter the folder, open VS Code there or any editor for the matter, and have the application running. You don't need to install anything. You like, and that's the beauty of dev containers to me is like either specification, you put inside the repository, you CD to the folder, run command line tool, you get the container running, but you can use to develop your application without having to show anything. My machine right now that I use every day don't have Ruby installed in the machine itself. My Ruby is installed inside the containers. And that's how I work with Ruby. Any advice for people who want to contribute to Rails? What would you tell people who want to contribute to Rails um, to make... Uh, even their first comment, what should they look like for? Um, I mean, what should they look out for? And if they send a PR, what should they do with the PR to increase their chances of getting the PRs merged, for instance? Or just in general, what advice would you have for future Rails con contributors? I think like the advice I would give to someone trying to contribute to Rails is like try to solve your own problem. Like if you find a bug, instead of opening an issue, try to fix it yourself. To me, it's the easiest way because you care about the problem. You understand how to trigger it, etc. So, but like if you don't have any problem and you have any way to put it, like there are a lot of features in the issue tracker with a script that you can execute to reproduce the issue like this. And we even have a tag with, for it with reproduction steps. The tag is a green tag. And for me, that's the easiest way to start. Now, like how to increase the choices, I would say, make sure that you have tests ready, that you understood the problem correctly, because sometimes people fix the problem in the wrong way and they, it's really hard for us to, to accept the contribution. And what else? Test, uh, and that also communicate correctly what you're trying to fix. You just don't open PR without the description, like write the description, what did you try? What is the real issue you found? Like why that change makes sense, etc. What technical books have impacted your career the most? Uh, I would say two. One is Refactoring by Martin Fowler. Uh, and the other one is a book called Crafting Rails Application. It's a book written by Josef Valley. It's a book that made me a Rails comic book because it explains how Rails works. It does not explain how to use Rails. It explains how Rails was built. 
what's the architecture of Rails, how it works, how you can change the behavior of Rails if you want to. So like the first one teach me good software development practices. The other one teach me how to be a Rails contributor. It's been fun having you on the show, Raphael. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me.